We'd like to welcome you back to our current event and weekly Bible study for January 30th, 2011. And uh, the next article is entitled, Beautification Will See Pope's Blood Built Into Altar. Now, just so you know, I'm going to give you a couple terms here so you can understand this article a little bit better. The term, the Catholic term, beautification, is a recognition accorded to the Catholic Church of a dead person's entrance into heaven. As though, you know, they have any clue about that. But anyway, and a capacity to intercede on behalf of individuals who pray in his or her name. In other words, they pray in that person's name, like they pray in the name of Mary, or in the name of Paul, or in the name of whatever. I mean, just rank, pure blasphemy. Okay, we pray to the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, Whereas they have all these particular people of times past that they'll pray in the name of Mother Teresa. Whatever. I mean, you, the, the, the list is probably thousands of potential uh, Catholic saints. I don't know if it's thousands, but it's into the hundreds, I would imagine. So, beautification is the recognition accorded by the Catholic Church of a dead person's entrance into heaven and the capacity to intercede on behalf of individuals who pray in his or her name, called intercession of the saints. Beautification is the third of four steps in the canonization process. A person who is beautified is also given the title blessed. Canonization is the act by which the Catholic Church fires a person out of a canon. No, just kidding, sorry. Anyway, it's the act by which a Catholic Church or another religious group declares a deceased person to be a saint and is included in the canon. Whereas the Bible says that if you're born again, Bible-believing you know, Christian, you are, you are a saint. Okay. Whereas this title, saint, is only bestowed on select few according to the Catholic pseudo-religion white witchcraft cult that it is. So it declares a deceased person to be a saint and is included in the canon or list of recognized saints. Originally, individuals were recognized as saints without any formal process, but that has changed. So, two totally extra-biblical, unbiblical, uh, heretical, apostate uh, things that the Catholic Church do. Just two of probably the thousands that they do. In 788 AD, the worship of relics and images established by the Roman Catholic Church began. Okay, so at that year, 788 AD, they were actually, um, the Catholic Church commissioned the worship of relics and images that were Roman Catholic Church approved. Also, totally, unbelievably unbiblical. Okay, a clear violation of the second commandment of the Bible, which reads, Exodus 24 and 5, says, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water underneath. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, which implies worship, nor serve them. For I, the Lord, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Very, very clear. Second commandment's very, very clear. Now, it's, it's interesting, this devil cult religion, what they've done to the Ten Commandments. They've butchered them. I'm not making this stuff. I'm, 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 the Catholic Ten Commandments have totally removed that commandment that I just read. Totally done away with that. How did they get around it? They took the Tenth Commandment, which is, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thy, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. They've split that into the Ninth Commandment, which is, You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. And the Tenth Commandment, You shall not covet your neighbor's goods. So they've split the Tenth Commandment, the real Tenth Commandment, into two commandments, and then they just moved everything up a notch to fill in to the Second Commandment. The Second Commandment in the Catholic Church now is not about um, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. It's not that. They removed that, and it is you shall not take the name of your Lord God in vain, which is the Third Commandment in the real Ten Commandments. And I give you this chart on the PDF that will be connected to the uh, 
January 30th, 2011 teaching on contendingfortruth.com. The Catholic Church removed the second commandment simply because it is a common practice to bow down before graven images in all Catholic churches. Images that are also big business for the Catholic Church. Oh yeah, they, they are the ones that are responsible most of the time, or at least in some way, some financial uh, relation there, of making these idols that people bow themselves down to, like the Queen of Heaven Mary statues that they have, and all of these other religious, iconic, garbage idols that they make. And they're all cursed. And they all come with a big fat demon. You cannot bring these things into your house and expect not to be bringing in devils. God told you these things in the Bible for a reason. When you bring these things into your house, or even these people that put them out in the front lawn, as though that makes them holy and better or something. How sanctimonious. You know, when you do that, you're just bringing a curse on yourself. You're bringing, at bare minimum, demons into your life that will blind you to the truth. And who knows what other effect they might have on you. Body, soul, and spirit. It's hard to say. So what did they compensate? So what they did to compensate for taking the second commandment is split the tenth into the ninth and tenth commandments. Uh, Anyway, I give you that whole chart. You can check it out for yourself. So in the Catholic cult religion, um, well, they would they would say, you know, there's a little um, picture here, and it shows. Pope John Paul bowing down before this big uh, Mary thing with a crown on her head, a statue. And it goes on to say, how do you obtain salvation? Not by Peter, not by Mary, not by works, not by mass, not by sprinkling, not by church attendance, not by tithing, not by Sabbath, not by penance, not by confession, not by last rites, not by purgatory, not by rosary, not by pilgrimage, not by law, not by poverty, not by meditation, not by catechisms, not by candles, not by holy water, not by incense, not by water baptism, not by devotion to icons. Um, And then it just ends with the verse... KJV, serves what, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And again, it's a, it's a um, their gospel is one that's a false gospel, totally and utterly dependent on works. You know, and all of our righteousness are as filthy rags. All of our works apart from the Lord Jesus Christ and his righteousness are as filthy rags. Okay, that's what the Bible says in Isaiah 64, 6. And all of sin comes short of the God, and the wages of sin of death. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay, so they're trying to earn their way to heaven, and you can't do that. You cannot work your way into heaven or earn your way into heaven. Um, for you are saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Okay, but almost all other religions on the planet, Catholics probably the worst, the most flagrant one, would claim works in order to gain entrance to heaven. And all that is, is an abomination. It's like you're, you're taking this abomination of works and laying it before the Lord and saying, this is why I deserve to gain entrance into, into heaven. And his standard is a holy perfectness that only Jesus Christ attained on this earth. And his blood covered our sins. And only his blood can atone for our sins. And that's the only way whereby we can gain entrance to heaven. But the Catholics would say, oh no, no, that's not right. Number one, they they view Mary as the co-redemptrix now. In other words, she and Jesus has to be the way you get to heaven. And then all of this other garbage that they have to perform. And then even then they have no real assurance. It's just, it's sick. It really is. And I've done several teachings on the Catholic Church that um, you can access up on contendingfortruth.com. Go to the download section and you'll see a whole bunch of, of uh, teachings I've done on the Catholic Church in there. Former Pope John Paul II, now getting back to the, the title of the story, former, John, former Pope John Paul II will be beautified This is so sickening. Before a vial of his blood is encased in crystal and installed in an altar in Poland. I'm not making this stuff up. This is what the Catholic Church admits to. They're going to take a vial of this dead guy's Pope's blood 
And they're going to encase it in crystal and install it in an altar in Poland. Doesn't that sound like witchcraft? At bare minimum, doesn't that sound really super creepy? And what in the world, what biblical precedence do we have for doing such an unclean, vile thing? I mean, it's a sick. The blood is a six-year-old remnant of vials taken from the late Pope's Pope shortly before his death. It was saved by Cardinal Stanislaw, friend and secretary of John Paul II, who recently made the suggestion to treat the vital fluid as a holy relic. Yeah, they do this stuff all the time. I'm, I'm, let's, let's look at this a little bit more. Basic Roman Catholic beliefs. Okay, now I got this from a Catholic source we're reading from. Relics are remains of holy persons, who they term as holy, parts of their bodies or possessions. I mean, it could be a big toe, or an ear, a finger, and many times it is. I mean, this is really macabrely sick. What is this, something, you know, you see in some horror movie. Regarding relics of Mary... Parts of her body were venerated as relics until the 11th century. Parts of Mary's body? I mean, these are things that should have been buried a long time ago, you know? After after that, theories about her bodily assumption crowded out any thought of her having bodily relics behind. In other words, well, let's see, what, what is this assumption? You ever heard of the assumption of Mary? Okay. Uh, let's read about that real quick. Because, I mean, this just goes from one bit of heresy to the next. It's it's hard to string it all together because there's so much heresy in leaven embedded in the Catholic cult doctrine that you just can go from one piece of rank heresy and blasphemy to the next. You know? According to the belief of, Christ, of well, pseudo-Christians, and remember, these are Roman Catholic sources, of Christians of the Roman Catholic Church, Eastern Catholic Churches, Eastern Orthodoxy, Oriental Orthodoxy, and parts of the Anglican community, and continuing Anglicanism. Now remember, these are all things that came out of their mother, the Roman Catholic whore. You know, Eastern Orthodoxy, Anglican, continuing Anglican, you know, all these things came out came from it, so they still are bound up in most, much of the same garbage. According to all these false religions, the Assumption of Mary was the bodily taking up of the Virgin Mary into heaven at the end of her life. Does that sound like somebody else? Like our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? They're putting her on the same level. And that's why they can call her, or at least in part why they would call her, co-redemptrix. I've seen pictures in the Baltimore Catechism where it shows like Jesus on his throne and he's like angry and he's pounding the sides of his throne and it has Mary next to him as the only one that can appease the fury of her son. She was the vessel by which Father God and the Lord Jesus Christ chose to use to bring forth Jesus Christ. But she is not Jesus Christ like Queen of Heaven pagan trinity mother which is how they would that which is how they would portray her and a lot of cults have their own pagan trinity let's face it this is how babylonian mystery religions got started you got nimrod semiramis and tammuz semiramis being the mother goddess figure nimrod being the father god figure father false god figure and tammuz being the the child deity false god figure it's in the pagan trinity is is very, very common in almost all false religions. And this is the way that the Catholics have, you know, work their version of the pagan trinity in there. It's not the Jesus Christ of the Bible. It's not even the Mary of the Bible. It's not Father God of the Bible either. It's just repackaged Babylonian witchcraft, which is all Roman Catholicism really is anyway. You know, that's what it is. So they believe in this assumption of Mary, which is just something they came up with not too long ago, was the bodily taking up of Virgin Mary into heaven at the end of her life. So, in other words, now they got to backtrack, because it says, regarding relics of Mary, parts of her body were venerated as relics until the 11th century. And then it says, but after theories about her bodily assumption crowded out any thought of her having left bodily relics behind. Oh, what, what did they do around the 11th century? Or, or um, uh, when they when they 
came into this Assumption of Mary thing. What did they say? Well, these relics that we got, they must not have been Mary. I guess we were wrong. This toe I got and this finger, we thought it was Mary's and we were venerating them and worshipping them, but then we, we came up with this doctrine on the Assumption of Mary, so it really can't be her body parts. I mean, this is insanity we're talking about here. Absolute, total insanity. And again, there's no biblical precedence for doing this garbage. None. This is morbid. The Roman Catholic Church teaches as dogma, that meaning dogma, they're dogmatic about it, okay? Teaches as dogma that the Virgin Mary, having completed the course of her earthly life, was assumed body, soul, body and soul into heavenly glory. And I'm giving you, I give you all the references here to this. This is what they believe and this is what they teach. Okay. Um, this doctrine was dogmatically and infallibly defined by Pope Pius XII on November 1st, 1950. In the churches which observe it, the Assumption is a major feast day, commonly celebrated on August 15th. And in many countries, it is a Catholic holy day of obligation. They just got to have all these rites and masses and this and that and it's just so unbiblical, so ungodly. And um, but this is what they're all about. This is what they do. This this um, veneer, you know. This this they try to appear holy, but inwardly they're ravening wolves. I mean, they were responsible for at least fifty million deaths during the Inquisition. Where in the New Testament does it tell us to go around slaughtering? The unbelievers. Well, that's what they were doing. It's no different than what the Muslims have in their commission in the Quran. They're no better. They're really no better. In fact, I think they're worse because they try to do it with this veneer of Christianity. Of course, the Muslims are, are you know, I don't know if they really believe this, but they, they're, you know, they say, oh, Allah and, and the God of the Bible are the same. No, they're not. They're not even remotely the same. Allah is the moon God. Okay, but. The Roman Catholics tried to do it with this veneer of Christianity, which is such a lie. Every Roman Catholic, this is really crazy. Every Roman Catholic altar contains two relics of martyred saints. So every time you go into a Catholic church, that altar up there contains, embedded in there somehow, some way, two relics of supposed martyred saints. Yeah, maybe one's got like the gallbladder of Paul and, and it's got, you know, like the toe bone of Peter. And you go to another one and it's got the hair of whoever and the nose of another guy. I mean, this, I mean, talk about bringing cursed objects into the church. This can't be good. This is morbid. I mean, this has to attract devils and demons when you do this. I mean, it's like if you go into a graveyard and you start digging up bodies. You can't expect that to have some kind of holy effect on things. Well, this is why the Catholic Church does it. Because they are a repository for devils and demons and fallen angels. And the more cursed they can make their churches, the better. Because the more deluded and the more deceived you will be when you come under their power. Why? Because the Bible says, for of whom, well the Bible says, while they promise them liberty, they themselves are servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, the same he is brought into bondage. Most people that are Catholics, in particular if they're generational, they got generational baggage going on there, and then they get into the Catholic Church, and they become totally blinded to the truth. I mean, all they'd have to do is read their, even if they read their Catholic American Standard Version Bible, they could see there's something majorly wrong here. But they don't even do that. I mean, if they were honestly reading it, I mean, some of them do, and some of them come out of it. But... These people, I mean, if you try to witness to a Catholic, typically, if they're, if they take any kind of hard line or, 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 you know, in defense of the Catholic religion, you're going to see them get violent on you. You will see them get violent. I've seen it happen, and I've talked to a lot of other people. They will flat out, their teeth will start showing. Those demons and devils that emanate and operate through them because they're blinded to the Catholic by this Catholic religious cult. Those demons will come out and you'll see them. And they could be the nicest person you had ever been around. You start, you start going against their religion, their cult, and you'll start to see their fangs real quick. Uh, again, I've seen it 
on numerous occasions. So, uh, and you can't, most of the time, they're unreachable. I mean, yes, pray fast if the, if the Lord so convicts you to do. Um, but they are very, very hard people to reach, Catholics. Um, and these people, this is such a cursed, evil, satanic institution. Once you set yourself under that kind of Satanism, or white witchcraft uh, uh, system, the longer you stay in it, the more these devils and demons get their hooks in you, and the more blind you become. And this is what happens. And this is why they're so hard to reach. And these these churches are literal repositories for devils and demons. And, fall. and then you have the pedophile priest clergy and all these unbiblical things like celibacy and nuns and, and all this other garbage that they've gone rosaries and which are just repackaged Hindu prayer beads. I mean, all of the stuff they do comes from, from other cults around the world. They, they've, they've pulled it into their system or they have adopted it you know, from the paganism that they brought into their into their uh, church from the very, very beginning, from the very inception, around 318 AD, through Constantine. So, a, a lot of this has just been reinforced over the years, and um, it's bad stuff. Very, very high-level stuff. So, every Roman Catholic altar contains two relics of martyred saints. This is because the Mass was supposed to have been celebrated over the tombs of martyrs around the 4th century. Whatever. I mean, I mean that, that's not that's no reason, you know. They've always got some warped, twisted reason for whatever. They, even though it's not in the Bible anywhere, you know, we're just going to make it up. We got all kind of extra biblical books that we go by, Maccabees and whatever other books that they read. And um, the the Pope's word overrides the Bible anyway, you know. And again, I've done a lot of studies on these separate issues. In times past. Relics fall into three classes. You've got your first class relics, which are part of a saint's body, or an object used by a saint, such as a cross. And then your second class relics are anything a saint used during his or her lifetime, such as clothing. And then you have the lowly third class relics, which are objects that have touched the saint's remains like a piece of cloth. Unbelievable. Traditional commentators usually have held that relics can be miraculously multiplied. Now, this this source I'm quoting from is called Externals of the Catholic Church, page 223, by Monsignor Sullivan. Get this last sentence. When every bit of it's been from Catholic sources. Traditional commentators usually held that relics can be miraculously multiplied. I.e., there could be several heads of a particular saint. Now that's something else. That's something else. Several heads of a particular saint. Wow. Now that's one for the books. I mean, that you got to be a serious magician to pull something like that off. Yes, there's 14 heads of this particular of Mother Teresa that we've it really makes it easy when these relics multiply. They're like rabbits. They just multiply like crazy. You know, I mean, it, this is just insanity. And they put these things on the altars? Yeah. It's like a demon trap. Anyway, let's go to the next article. Churches loan buildings to Muslims for worship. This will warm the cockles of your heart. Some American churches have taken a controversial step to reach out to their Muslim neighbors. At least two congregations received national attention recently after they opened their doors to local Muslims, letting them use their church buildings to hold Muslim worship services. Churches. Renting space out. Well, the love of money is the root of all evil. They say, oh, well, we're doing it as an outreach. Or you'll, you'll hear their warp twisted reasons. But don't tell me money's not a motivator. Now, we've already talked about these emerging Chrislam congregations, which are Christianity where they incorporate Islam into it, and they've got literally Bibles and Korans in the same pew. How utterly vile and sickening this is. But now we've got other churches that are loaning their buildings out for the Muslims to use. Dr. Carlos Campo, president of Regent University, sorted through the 
implications of sharing worship service space and discuss the best ways to display Christian outreach on a CBN News Morning Channel, January 24th. Muslims made major headlines last year when they tried to build a mosque near Ground Zero at the site of the September 11th terror attacks in New York City and a mega mosque in the heart of the Bible Belt in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. In Alexandria, Virginia, a local Islamic center decided to build its own mosque. In the meantime, it asked the Aldersgate Methodist Church if it could use its building for Friday prayers. And this lady from this church, this poor, deluded lady, her name's Diane Bechtol, who's a member of this Methodist church, says, quote, I feel like we are embodying Christianity by, wel- by being welcoming. They're, she's embodying. She's so good, she's glorying in her shame, is what she's doing, is how the Bible refers to it. She's glorying in her shame. But see, she feels like we're... We're puffed up. We're, we're, we're led to do this abomination, as the Bible talks about in like Jeremiah 7, 11, and 14. We're, we're, so, we're so holy, and we're so religious. We're actually led to do these abominations. 2 Corinthians 6, 14, and 17 says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now, how much worse could you be other than having all the Muslims in at the same time you're there? You're still yoking yourself up with them. You're letting them come into your building your church, and letting them defile that premise by their prayers to Allah, the moon god. And then it says, Wherefore, come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. See, we're supposed to come out from among them and be separate, and touch not the unclean thing, and then God will receive us. Bechtel says she does not think sharing worship space compromises her faith. Compromises her faith. Okay, so she thinks. Okay, where is she thinking from? Her heart. And the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. All the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the spirits. That's what the Bible says. All the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes. See, if, if we make if we become a law unto ourselves and we think, well, I'm a pretty good guy, which is what a lot of people think about themselves or fancy themselves. I'm, a, I'm better than that guy. I'm better than that mass murderer. I'm a pretty good guy. What have you just done? You've created your own religion. Which, literally, you're risking your whole soul and spirit on. You're, you're risking your total eternal destiny on some whim that you think. Are you willing to, to, to risk your own soul and spirit on such a thing as that? Most people do. Most people think the religion that they're in, well, it's a pretty good religion. It's, it's better than most. you got to understand what you're risking. It's the most of eternal consequences, if you're wrong. So, Bechtel says she does not think sharing worship space um, compromises her faith. Okay, comments. So, my comment is, so I guess the mass witchcraft of praying to their moon god Allah, now being performed right in their own church, could have no negative spiritual impact on the congregation. No. Of course not. Bringing those cursed Korans in to their church, praying to Allah at their church. No, it won't, it won't curse the land. It won't, defile the, it won't defile the church. There won't be any negative spirits that will accompany them, right? See, this is what people don't understand. They're just thinking, oh, we're being so liberal and we're being so... I mean, they, I can just see the smugness and the holier-than-thou, we're so good attitude, you know, by what they're doing. They think that they're doing God's service, but they're doing Satan's service, is all they're doing. And they're literally bringing... They're letting mass witchcraft, which is what Islam is, it's what all false religions are, it's witchcraft. If you boil it down, it's a false religion. It's paganism. What's that? It's essentially witchcraft at some level or another. They're letting that take place in their church. You think that's not going to affect that congregation on a spiritual level? But see, you don't see it. So therefore, because you can't see the spirits. They're being carnally minded. They're just trying to reason this out in their own heart. And then 
She goes on to say, Jesus called us to give hospitality to strangers, to feed the poor and help the sick, and this is walking the walk, according to this apostate woman, Bechtel. Okay, here's my comment to Mrs. Bechtel. Enabling and aiding pagan witchcraft worship services is not to be equated with giving hospitality to strangers, feeding the poor, and helping the sick. In fact, it is the exact opposite. It reminds me of this Bible verse. 1 Corinthians 5, um, 5 verse 1, uh, I think we're going to go to like verse 5. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you. Now this is Paul's indictment, one of Paul's indictments to the Corinthian church. Okay, so here's what he says in, in this particular Bible verse about the Corinthian church. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you in the church. Okay, and such fornication as as is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. So there was a guy in the church that I think it was his I think it was his stepmom. I've heard commentaries on this. I think it was his stepmom. Okay, but it's a guy in church that actually. Married, I believe, his father's, his stepmom. Okay? So, Paul's basically giving this indictment to the church. Okay? And let, let me just, let me just start over so we get the full concept of this. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you. As, is not so much as named among the Gentiles. What does that mean? That means that even the Gentiles aren't doing this stuff. But you are. And then, that one should have his father's wife. And ye are puffed up, and have not rather mourned, that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. What was Paul's solution here? To take that wicked person away. Why? Because he knew that if that wicked person stayed in the congregation, and they enabled his sin, all it was going to do was be like a demon devil magnet. It was going to start to defile the whole congregation. See, this isn't practiced anymore. This is not practiced in the church. In fact, I've done a whole sermon on this. It's called, Turn Such and One Over to Satan. Okay, and again, if you go to the downloads page, okay, so let's just reiterate. It says, and you're puffed up and have not rather mourned. You're puffed up. They're proud of themselves. Why are they proud? Well, because they're so, they're so holy that they so have it together, spiritually, that they can allow this type of thing to go on in the church, and it's all good. Because they're so together, and they're so holy, that they can actually have this type of stuff going on in the church, and it won't affect them all negatively. Okay, a series of verses just came into my head as I was thinking about this. And it's what, uh, one of the things I just quoted from, Jeremiah chapter 7 uh, let's just start at verse 4. It relates to this subject. Trust ye not in lying words, saying, The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. Uh, for if ye thoroughly amend your ways in your doings, if ye thoroughly execute judgment between a man and his neighbor. See, the church in this case in 1 Corinthians 5 should have executed judgment on this particular matter. But see, nowadays, anything goes in the church. They let Anything and everything go on. There's no such thing as discipline. And this is a gigantic reason why the church is in the absolute total mess that it is in. Because they've let all manner of sin and leaven permeate into the church to the point where it's just a sham anymore, for the most part. Um, then it goes on to say, If you oppress not the stranger and fatherless and the widow, and shed not innocent blood in this place... Neither walk after other gods to your hurt. Then I will cause you to dwell in this place, in the land which I gave to your fathers forever and ever. Behold, ye trust in lying words that cannot profit. Okay, so, um, you trust in lying words. And this is also the first thing mentioned in the verse 4 that I read, and also, and this is a big reason how it all starts. How does heresy enter in? Well, it, it enters in through lying words. And I have a note here that I had written. Uh, if this is the first thing mentioned in verses 8 and verse 4, how much more so a false lying Bible? 
and align so-called prophet. You know, I mean, we got these false Bible versions that are out there that have changed, like in the NIV's version, uh, changed the uh, removed sixty-four thousand words compared to the King James and altered it in many other places, and that's just one version. And when you start messing with the Word of God, then you're going to be, um, you know, really destroying the foundation of the very faith upon which your faith lies. You know, thy word is truth. The, the Bible says, what is truth? Thy word is truth. And it's the foundation of our faith. And the, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? So, going further, what is the fruit of trusting in lying words that cannot profit? Now, this could also be lying words from the preacher, from even false Bible, from extra-biblical sources, like all these books they've got out now and other supposed lost gospels and other things of this nature could be from uh, lying prophets could be from whatever somebody that says they got a word from God and it doesn't line up with the word of God well guess what they didn't get that word from God because God is God and he changeth not okay and he's not the author of confusion so there's a lot of things you could say so what's what's the fruit of trusting in lying words well it says in verse 9, Will ye steal, murder, and commit adultery, and swear falsely, and burn incense to Baal, and walk after other gods whom ye know not, and come and stand before me in this house, the house of God, which is called by my name, and say, We are delivered to do these abominations. See, that's what they're saying. That's what they're saying in 1 Corinthians 5. We are delivered to do this, these abominations. Same thing they were doing in Jeremiah 7. Same thing they're going to be doing in the Laodicean church, which is basically the time that we're living in. So I could do a whole teaching on that. It says, and you're puffed up. Now going back to 1 Corinthians 5, you're puffed up and not rather mourned. Same way. You're, we're delivered to do these abominations. Of course. Now, the, the word of God says, that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. That was the solution. And then the Bible says, there, Wherefore turn such an one over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the soul may be saved. That's how serious the Bible was about one person committing this. Is that ever done anymore in the church? I mean, in 99.99% of churches, is that ever done? Well, it's, big, it's a big reason why the church is in the shape that it's in. is because there is no real church discipline for the majority of it going on in the churches. Well, we we would offend people. We would our congregation numbers would go down. We would be unpopular. We might be labeled, we might be sued. Who knows? I might lose my 501c3 tax exempt status. The giving would be down. How could I build my empire? The list goes on and on and on. Okay, so then it goes on to say your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Leaven is a type of sin. Okay, in the Bible. Leaven is also referred to by Jesus. Jesus Christ said, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees, which is their doctrine. But in this case, this leaven is literally the sin that they're permitting to go on in the church that is permeating through the church and defiling the whole congregation as well. They may not see it, because you can't see spiritual things unless you have your third eye open, which I hope you don't. But this is what's happening. Eventually, it's going to affect every single person in there. Your glory is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. That's what the Bible's solution was. No, no, no. This church, though, this Methodist church, and this Mrs. Bechtel, her solution is, no, no, we don't have enough leaven in our church. We need to let the Muslims, we need to rent space to them so they can come in and pray to their moon god Allah and they can come in and bring their cursed Qurans in here and they can come in here and pray that, that their god Allah, that they're used in martyrdom and uh, to slay the infidel. They're literally in, the, they're letting the enemy into the camp because this is what the Quran teaches them, to utterly kill and slay and behead the infidels. Infidels are unbelievers in Islam. And the Jews being the first and the Christians being second, essentially. There's multiple verses in the Quran that I've read before that say this. 
it's just insanity. Where is the discernment? There is none. There is none. They'd rather be politically correct. In Cordova, Tennessee, outside of Memphis, the Heartsong Church received a similar request. Pastor Steve Stone said loaning out their worship space to Muslim neighbors is a great way to share the gospel. Okay, now, if, if they're loaning it out and they're not doing it for filthy lucre, well, okay, whatever. Still doesn't make it right. They, they could say it's neighborly and all they want. I've already given you enough Bible to know that it's very, very wrong. However, not everyone agrees that this is a biblical that this is a means of biblical outreach. Uh, guy from Christianity Today, which I'm really surprised, James B. Hood says, it is not self-evident that this duty to love your neighbor requires, a, requires us to provide property for false worship. Well, that's probably one of the, the more backbony things I've heard come out of Christianity Today in a while. So, you know, that's good. I agree. Hood also pointed out that supposed good works should not lead other believers to stumble. Christians across the country may be forced to debate and decide these new questions sooner rather than later as more Muslim communities continue to grow and expand. Uh, next article, I'm just going to touch on this. It's entitled, Are You Eating Foods Sacrificed to Idols? When you bite into that delicious pizza, succulent sandwich, or luscious lamb chops, are you possibly eating food that's been sacrificed to idols? Okay, which is one of the things that the Bible says not to do, even in the New Testament. Okay, it's not something that you want to be doing. Just like if you're eating food that has blood in it, like if you were eating, you know, really rare, uh, well, rare, rare meat, or um, uh, certain types of sausage have blood in them, and these types of things. I've done a whole study on that. It's called the wisdom of the Levitical dietary guidelines. Not to say we're under this law, but there is wisdom in the Levitical dietary guidelines. Anyway, there's other ways that that you can um, you can get blood in the meat, and I get, I get into that in that particular teaching. But in this case, we're talking about eating foods sacrificed to idols. An outspoken American pastor says, um, yes, that there are many people that are probably eating this, and he's sounding the alarm for Christians to be aware of his, the Islamic influence he calls backdoor shahara, now nibbling its way across the fruited plain. And I'm not going to get into the articles because I have mentioned this, I don't know, probably a couple months ago. But this gives you all the labels that you can look for on meats or things to look for in restaurants that you go to to find out if they're, they're serving you halal or Islamically slaughtered meat. And if you eat Islamically slaughtered meat, they're literally saying a prayer before they're slaughtering the meat. They're saying a prayer to essentially Allah. As they're slaughtering the meat, as they're killing the animal. And I really do believe that there's some type of spiritual curse that they're imparting to the meat. Uh, just not something you'd want to get in the habit of, put it that way. So this will give you the tools there. I'll give you the link you can go to and you can read more about that. Next article is entitled, um, January 22nd is the anniversary of Roe versus Wade Holocaust. Today is one of the most horrible and terrible days in the USA. Um, actually, let me see here. Um, okay, yeah, I'll go, I'll go a little bit more and then we'll take another, we'll go to part three, but I'll go into this first. Okay, so, uh, today is one of the most horrible and terrible days in the USA in all history. And this is, this is at the time of the writing, it was January 22nd. It is worse than World War One, World War Two, and all the wars. The Holocaust has been responsible for more dead Americans um, this Holocaust has been responsible for more dead Americans than all wars we've ever been involved with combined, by far. It is worse than slavery ever was. It is more terrible than Hitler and all the tyrants combined. Whatever else you do today, you should know that today, January 2nd, is the anniversary of Roe versus Wade. The day in 1973 when the U.S. Supreme Court made murder legal in the United States. Any woman for any reason can now murder her unborn child with the government's blessing. 50 million babies have been murdered by abortionists through the USA. He said 100 million. Now, I have never heard a statistic that big about USA. Maybe it is 100 million. I've heard, you know, year, a few, you know, I don't know, seven or eight years back, they quoted 40 million a lot. Now, I've heard 50 million. Maybe it is 100 million. I do believe that the figures are conservative. And I've done studies where I went up to the actual official statistics for worldwide abortions. Because for some reason, 
and I'm sure people from other com- countries will appreciate this. For some reason, it's like they only account the abortions that happen in America. Well, what about all the innocent blood crying out from the lane worldwide? Are those babies not just as important as the American babies being slaughtered? Because those are the only studies you'll typically see. When I did the research from the official sources, it was, and this was some years back, it was a conservative estimate that there had been one billion babies aborted since abortion started in like the 1920s, 30s in other parts of the world. Granted, it became legal here in 1973, but I'm talking if we go way back. One billion. And who knows, that could be double. Man, there's only like near seven billion on the planet. So we're talking, it could be, you know, a six to, who knows, of the people on the planet Aborted, and that innocent blood cries out from the land and defiles the land, as we'll see here. It brings a curse on the land. You can look around and see a lot of the the stuff that's going on right now in America, and literally all you would need to point to is the innocent blood crying out from the land to realize that America will be judged and has to be judged by God. So, Recently, an abortionist in Philadelphia was arrested for murdering babies born alive in botched abortions, and then he murdered them by snipping their spinal cords with scissors. Oh, oh, that's so sick. Oh, anyway, um, I just, I don't, I just don't get it, man. I mean, you've got to be really, really evil to do something like that, and yet these abortionists are, you know, protected and, and given. Uh, it's so sickening. Jeremiah 1.5 says, this is God talking. Before, to Jeremiah, he said, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. God knows us before we're even formed in the belly. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, that means to be made holy and set apart. I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. God knew his his beginning and his end, Jeremiah. But he knows all our beginnings and our ends, every one of us. Genesis one twenty six, and God said, "Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth." Deuteronomy nineteen ten says, "That innocent blood be not shed in the land which the Lord God giveth thee." for an inheritance, and so blood be upon thee. He's saying, don't do this, that innocent blood would be shed on the land. Psalm 106, verse 38 says, and shed innocent blood, even the blood of their sons and their daughters. These are talking about pagan practices. They shed the innocent blood, the blood of their sons and their daughters, whom they sacrificed under the idols of Canaan. And the land was polluted with blood. In God's eyes, I don't think there's any greater way to literally spiritually curse and pollute the land, but then to shed innocent blood, particularly the blood of an innocent baby. Doesn't get a whole lot more innocent than that. Okay, Proverbs 6.16 says, These things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. Man, how would he feel about an abortionist? Some of these devils have performed thousands of, of killing of babies. A lot of them, as I said, I've done a whole teaching here. I give you all the links to it. It's called the occult roots of the occult roots of abortion. These these guys that own the abortion clinics or these women, many of them are just overt witches or men. They are flat out high level occultists, and they view these sacrifices as sacrifices to whatever deity they worship. Whether it be Artemis, Lilith, Moloch, Chemosh, take your pick, Baal, Baal, however you want to say it. Not only are they making tons of money, but they're actually doing this as sacrifices. And I'm at, I would imagine that it would, it would afford them a way to gain more witchcraft and occult power that another occultist wouldn't have that ability to do. Luke twelve seventeen. But even the very hairs of your head. Are numbered. Fear not, therefore, ye are more value than many sparrows. 
Uh, and then there's a link here, abortion, the 10 reasons it's wrong. You give you the link to that. And then this lady that put this up quotes, Second Chronicles 7.14, If my people, which are called by name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. That would be the only way to heal the land of America, essentially. That's it. I mean, I mean, but it's just not going to happen on, on a, a corporate Christian level. You know, the church is asleep. They don't think there's a problem. That's the problem. I mean, if they don't think there's a problem, why, why do we got to do anything about it? For the most part, because the pastors, you know, the demons and devils that emanate and operate through the pastors and, and the TV airwaves and whatever other thing, they've lulled them to sleep for the most part. Not everybody, but for a large part, people are lulled to sleep. They don't think there's a real problem. Uh, something to think about. There's 58,000 58, names on the Vietnam Memorial in Washington, D.C. And it occupies a 10-foot high wall that is 500 feet long. A 10-foot high wall long enough to list the names of the 50 million babies killed since the legalization of abortion in 1973 just in America would have to be 80 miles long. 80 miles Whereas the Vietnam Memorial is 500 feet long. This one have to be 80 miles long. And then I give you the three links. I've got three parts on the occult roots of abortion. You can go and click on that and see that if you like. I'm going to go ahead and start stop part three there. And we'll go or part two there. I'll go to part three now. God bless you. Okay, we'd like to welcome you back to our third and final part of our current event and weekly Bible study for January 30th, 2011. And this article is entitled The Mayans 2012 Prophecy and the Dark Gods of Human Sacrifice. Um, this is from Russ Dizdar. He says, here is a current testimony of a listener of the radio broadcast Shadow of the Darkness Live. He has just returned from the Mayan temple ruins. This is very interesting, this testimony he gave. He says, Russ, I just wanted to update you on my trip to Mexico. We just got back home about two hours ago. The time my wife and I spent at Chichen Itza was both awesome and very disturbing. Our guide, who is of Mayan descent, gave us detailed explanations of all the sites we visited. He described the meaning of all the different stone carvings on the various temples and what the mindset was, the beliefs of the people who built them. It was amazing how their beliefs lined right up with the New Age movement. Serpent worship was represented on every building and almost every site was dedicated to ritual human sacrifice. You'll see this theme very, very common in the Mayans. Uh, it was absolutely... I mean, when you just are given over to Satan, the logical place he's going to ultimately end up taking you is human sacrifice. That's where it's going to obviously... That's the only way he's going to be able to get appeased, is through human sacrifice. And... Um, uh, he told us that many of the Mayans and others believed in Kukulkan for the Maya or Quetzalcoatl in the Aztec belief was really Jesus. Okay, and you'd think, how could they think that? Well, here I'm going to explain it to you. On a church, on a church, he showed us where carved serpent heads had been taken from a Mayan site and used to build that church. He told, he told us that the first Catholic priests told the people that their gods were the same as the Christian gods in order to get the people to convert. What a bunch of devils. I tell you, those Catholics, just, every time I, I read about them, it's just some way where they're just defiling humanity. The first Catholic priests told the people that their gods were the same as the Christian gods. What liars from the pit of hell. You talk about compromise. I mean, can you imagine? Just, it, it's like, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll feed them some line. These Catholic priests talking to one another. We'll feed them some line. We'll just tell them that their God's the same God as our God. And, and it'll be a good way we can dupe them and get them to convert. We'll even put their serpent heads on the side of our buildings. Just to appease these, these pagan Mayans. Who they, I'm sure, felt superior to. So this is more fruit of the uh, Catholic uh, Roman Catholic Church here. Uh, 
The whole area felt so heavy with darkness it was almost unbearable, and it was so sad to know that so many had willingly given their life for false gods. I tried to be polite to our guide, and most of the time I prayed with my eyes open silently so we would not make a show of what we were doing. One of the last sites we visited was Sonoto Sagrado. It was a place where virgin girls washed in a ritual stream steam bath, and then they willingly threw themselves into the water to drown. I mean, this is just sick. At that place, my wife and I were able to go to a place alone and fervently pray that the shed blood of Jesus Christ of Nazareth would cover all evil deeds, deceptions, and bind any evil presence. Russ, I can tell you that the power of Jesus is awesome. After we prayed, we felt all this heavy darkness leave the air and lift off us. God bless you and your family. Paul. And there's some links here if you want to know more about. That's what kind of Russ Dizdar specializes in, this type of thing. But I, I've also had quite a bit of experience in this area myself, going to these types of cursed cursed places where all kind of innocent blood had been shed and praying. Um, and I'm going to give you, I give you in this teaching, my spiritual warfare guidelines. And granted, this isn't like some complete list, but they're tenets. They're mostly biblical tenets that you can apply when you go to these types of places to pray. Um, and I give you a lot of different Bible verses you can use. A lot of people have requested this document from me, so I just put it in this PDF for um, January 30th, 2011 on contendingfortruth.com. Contendingfortruth.com. And it will be under the Spiritual Warfare Prayer Guidelines. Um, and just... Things that you should do prior to going out, putting on the full armor of God, making sure that you know you've confessed all your sins and secret faults, presumptuous sins, and let God God search in your heart. You know these types of things because there's things you, you really need to do prior to this. Fasting and praying are, are very important before you go to these types of places. Um, and I give you a whole bunch of different Bible verses that you can actually quote there. And um, the Bible says in Jeremiah twenty three twenty nine, "Is not my word like as a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh a rock in pieces." And the word of God is quick and powerful, and sharper than any two edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Hebrews four twelve, and other Bible verses that you can actually say and literally pray when you're at these places to break the. Um, uh, to break this, these these evil spirits that emanate and operate through these places. And a lot of times, the land has been defiled. And I really believe that even the Word of God gives remedies for that. So, I'm not really going to get into all of these things because it, it would be hard to do in a, in a teachable format. But I'm going to give you this in the PDF for January 30th, 2011. You can go there and kind of read through it and read through some of the... Um, kind of like sample prayers that you can pray. It's not like you got to have this. But it's it's more of a template or a guideline. And it's taken me quite a long time to put all these Bible verses together. And some of this I pulled from different ministries. Uh, but there are things to think about and things that a lot of times some of these Bible verses you read and you may you may have thought, wow, yeah, I, that's true. The Bible says that. And... and um, um, kind of empowers you as far as your authority that you would have in Christ Jesus to go to these places and um, uh, go there through the Lord Jesus Christ and the authority that you can actually have as a born-again, Bible-believing uh, Christian. So I'm going to go ahead and, and just kind of uh, leave that to you regarding that particular thing. And I'm going to go to the next article here. And it's entitled, The Popularity of Vampires Spawns Subculture, Scholars Say. <clears throat> they work as doctors and lawyers by day, but lurk as vampires by night. While they may not wish to suck your blood, there are plenty of willing victims on tap. And it says, when they, while they wish, while they, it's a secular article, it says, while they may not wish to suck your blood. That's not true. I, I don't believe that they wouldn't, I believe they would anyone that would allow them to do this, most likely. Um, there are plenty of willing victims on tap, says the nation's top scholar on the subculture that emulates emulates the undead. Idaho State University sociologist D.J. Williams, newly hired as a consultant 
for a proposed television documentary about self-identified vampires said true modern acolytes of Dracula seek consensual blood-sharing relationships. Now this is going to become more and more and more common. As evil men and seducers wax, meaning grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived, you're going to see more of this outward type of total demonic infestation and behavior patterns. And blood drinking, which is something the Bible totally forbids, in both the New and the Old Testament, is going to become more and more commonplace. Um, The popular fascination with vampires dates back to 1897, uh, the publication of Bram Stoker's Dracula, and later books such as Anne Rice's The Vampire Chronicles. But it exploded in recent years with a best-selling Twilight series of novels by Stephanie Meyer and its movie adaptations. The seductive vampire character Edward, Edward Cullen in the movie, played by actor Robert Pattinson, became a teen idol and made vampires cool. Vampire mania has spawned an international subculture that strongly relates to traits associated with mythical vampires. They are believed to be seductive beings, unafraid to explore the dark side of human nature that is usually masked for the sake of social acceptance. What separates vampires uh, them from mere vampire wannabes is an internal lack of energy that makes them seek energy from external sources, in this case from the blood of a willing or unwilling donor. So supposedly these people are are motivated by an internal lack of energy where they get this energetic boost from literally drinking other people's blood. In real life, we're talking about here. And then they, they call it feeding, said Williams, who also moonlights as an FBI consultant for investigations involving violent criminals who are claiming to be vampires. Williams says self-identified vampires seek significant others with an abundance of energy willing to allow them to suck blood from a small incision made up high on the chest by a scalpel. Quite often, they are in a relationship with the donor where one person has energy blockages and the partner has excess energy. It's a perfect symbiotic relationship. It's actually a perfect parasitic relationship. He said, in other words, somebody that's like got all kind of energy ends up being with the vampire who doesn't have a lot of internal energy but actually derives energy from their blood. So it's like the one guy had excess or the one person had excess energy anyway and the vampires sucking their blood and gaining energy. It's just disgusting. The arrangement is legal because it is struck between two consenting adults and aims to have no ill effect. Oh, give me a break. How, how much of a demonic exchange, an infestation, could, could, you, could you have here? He is pioneering the study of such alternative lifestyles. It took years for the scholar in the forensic social work, criminal justice, and leisure sciences to gain the trust of self-identifying vampires, whom he says are widely misunderstood. The negative discourse out there about blood and the transmission of infectious diseases just drives them underground, said Williams, who advises vampire acquaintances to abide by safe blood-drinking practices, uh, like having donors tested for HIV and other ailments transmitted by the blood. I mean, this is insanity. And with American serial killers such as Jeffrey Dahmer, who killed 17 young men and boys in a frenzy of necrophilia and cannibalism between 1978 and 1991, billing himself as a vampire, what are law-abiding vampires to do? The vampire community would argue that Jeffrey Dahmer and others aren't real vampires. They're murderous criminals, Williams says. Those high-profile cases damage the image of self-identified vampires. (laughs) So, in other words, they've got a rep to protect, evidently. A reputation they've got to protect and... uh, you know, they've just taken a bad rap from these other vampires. Vampire myths span the centuries with some pinned to real life figures like Vlad the Impaler, the 15th century Roman noble, known for some fearsome punishment he inflicted on his enemies. A recent UCLA study ranked vampires as the most admired of monsters. And I would have to say that's 100% true. I mean, look how they're, they're um, glorified and venerated in, in all this you know, mystique and obsession, particularly that women have with, like, the Twilight series, which I've done a whole series exposing that, and these other things. I mean, it's really 
morbidly sick. Now, what does the Bible say? Psalm 12, verse 8 says, The wicked walk on every side when the vilest men are exalted. So when you have the vilest men, I mean, vampires would fall into that category and all these vampires and all these shows. When you have these vile, uh, detestable, walking dead vampires as portrayed in all these shows, when they are exalted, when you have the vilest men and they're exalted, what, is the, what can you expect in society? That the wicked would walk on every side. When you've got an absolute devil as the president of your country, like we have, what should you be expecting when you have, like, Obama, who's, who's exalted in the press and in Hollywood and these types of things, what should you expect in society? That the wicked would be walking on every side. And it's no doubt the walls are, are just totally closing in with this draconian Nazi-like government that we've got. You've got the wicked walking on every side on an increasing basis every day. Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. This is what you're doing when you call a vampire good. Or when you call a uh, somebody that's a homosexual a good thing for society. Or homosexual adoption. Or what all these vile things that are going on openly in society. Surveys circulating among vampires ask questions about their energy level. Whether they heal quickly from wounds and whether... Blood bothers them. Williams said virtually every age, race, religion, and profession is represented in the subculture of vampires, which is strongest in the urban areas. They see themselves as normal, regular people in normal, regular jobs. They are teachers, lawyers, accountants. They may be parents, he said. They have normal lives, but there is an aspect to needing to take energy from time to time in certain ways. Well, you know, as long as they're... Their heart's in the right place. I think that's all that matters, right? Uh, but yeah, that's that's the uh, the study for today. And, and this is, unfortunately, what the, the degradation of society that we're increasingly seeing on a everyday basis. And um, I'm not sure what our next study will be. It might have a couple dedicated studies. Uh, it just depends on the amount of breaking current events on a given week. A lot of times if something's really major going on, I need to cover that particular issue, and it will push other studies aside. But I'm trying to kind of have more of a mix now of dedicated studies in the current events, so we're covering a little bit of everything. So, um, may the Lord Jesus Christ richly bless you. I'll go ahead and close this out in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day and this time you've given us. I praise you, Lord God, for all your goodness, all your mercy, Lord God, that you've bestowed upon us for salvation, Lord God, through the Lord Jesus Christ. We praise you, Lord God, for your goodness and your mercy. I do pray you'd forgive us for any and all sins we've committed in any way, shape, or form. That you'd cleanse us from presumptuous sins and secret faults. That they would not have dominion over us. And that the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart would be pleasing and acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. I do pray, God, that you guide our steps every day. That you show us what you want us to do regarding these issues that we bring up on a weekly basis. Whether it's prayer, fasting. That you would give us a vision, Lord God of what you would have us do now and even in the future. For without a vision, your people perish, Lord God. And this vision, Lord God, if you would do this, that it would line up absolutely and totally with the word of God, and that we would know if, if um, we are hearing something, that it would be from you, Lord God, and not from, uh, that we would not be deceived, Lord. As you said in your word, to be not deceived. I pray, Lord God, that we would not be deceived, that my listeners would not, the body of Christ would not be deceived, and that we would... Um, know your voice, Lord God, and that we be obedient to whatever you tell us to do. We ask all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.